Well, good evening and welcome everyone to Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. I am Peter Slayton, your host, Executive Director of Crucial Productions, which is what puts on this show, this YouTube channel, this great stuff we got going on here tonight. I am joined tonight by Pastor Peter Ill, once again from Trinity Lutheran in Millstadt, Illinois, and we have Pastor Tim. Oh, there, geez, he's waving now. Now you can wave while I'm actually on you for the screen. Yay! <laughs> and we're also joined by Pastor Timothy Roth uh, of St. Peter Lutheran Church in Humboldt, Kansas. Thank you both for joining us tonight. We are going to be talking about the third article of the Creed, the Holy Spirit. But first, if you have not joined the Grok Moot, that is our Facebook group. The link is down below in the description. Join that group because we are posting our daily readings of the Large Catechism now through the end of June. So that is how long our reading program is going. This show is done in conjunction with that, or I suppose the series in the show, because Crucial Conversations could continue after this, having conversations about other things. And so join the Grok Moot. That's our Facebook group. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. We want to get to 100 subscribers so that we can have a custom URL and other fun options that YouTube unlocks when they decide that we're legit. And apparently 100 subscribers is one of those milestones that says we're legit. So please do that. This is also a podcast. We have all of these episodes available in audio format. There are three different links down below, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, where you can find our podcast and add it to your regular listening. All right. So we are in the large catechism. The Lutheran Confessions, edition, second edition is what I am reading from here, put out by Concordia Publishing House. Pastor Ill has one there as well. And we are on page 403 to 408 tonight. That is what we are covering. That is the article, uh, Article 3, Large Catechism, the Holy Spirit. So, pastors, we have a lot to cover tonight, and we have so many different things that we can talk about, but First, let's take some questions that came in from last week. So last week during our show, there was a question that came up in the YouTube comments from Elizabeth about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And then in the Grokmoot, we had a, this, uh, a question from Christopher Hogan about today's reading, actually. So, um, Pastor Ill, if you want to start with that, that question from Elizabeth and take that since you were actually on last week's show. Sure. Elizabeth said uh, that she realized she might be over-distinguishing hearing Isaiah 9-6 in Handel's Messiah, which is really pretty, but I won't sing it, I promise. Uh, <laughs> but she says she doesn't understand the second half of it. Uh, and so Isaiah 9-6 comes from a, a very messianic part of Isaiah. All of Isaiah is pretty messianic, but uh, this is a part that is very well known, especially around Christmas time. And Chapter 9, verse 6 goes like this. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I have a hunch that what might be tripping Elizabeth up, and what trips up a lot of folks, is this idea that Jesus, the Son, is called the Everlasting Father. These are all simply different messianic names. And in the Old Testament, we hear many times when God says that he will be a father to his people. Uh, and so I suppose you can ask the question, is Christ a father or is Christ a brother? And I think the appropriate answer is yes. Um, and I realize that that sounds kind of squirrely and it sounds like a non-answer to the question. Uh, <laughs> but I promise it's not. It is uh, simply saying there are ways about how God communicates with us and how God speaks to us that we can't fully understand and we can't fully fit into our categories. And that's okay. And I think one of the things we were talking about last week is this idea that in, in the Trinity, while there may be distinct works that persons in the Trinity do, we do need to be careful that we're not completely separating each person in the Trinity from all the others. And I think maybe that's where Elizabeth was talking about the over-distinguishing. And so when we talk about, because I think where it came up last week was 
God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth, and yet the New Testament talks almost exclusively about Jesus being the creator and the, the you know the sustainer and you know, well not sustainer I suppose that's actually God Father I don't know but the point being that we have to be careful that we're not dividing the Trinity in such a way that it, this person cannot be involved at all in the work that this person over here does because that's not his job kind of thing uh, even to follow up with that a little bit uh, it says that in Christ we live and move and have our being. And that is sustainer work. Uh, but the Father is also a sustainer. And I think sometimes we try to over-pigeonhole the persons of the Trinity. And, and I think Isaiah 9-6 is another place where, where we might try to make it fit categories that we may not be able to make it fit exactly. And that's okay. Yeah. Yep. Indeed. So let's, let's get to Christopher's question. Uh, Christopher asked in the Grokmoot for one of the readings a couple days ago, which actually is part of the text that we're covering today. It's actually the, at the very end of Article 3. And so I, I wanted to bring this act in at the beginning of the episode so that as we're going through our episode, we have the end in mind. This is where we're going to end up at the end of our hour today. And so Christopher uh, writes this, uh, quoting from the Large Catechism, line 70, for as long as we live here, we shall daily have enough to do to preach and to learn this. When this article ends with these words, this is Christopher asking, is it saying that the church should focus on preaching and teaching the articles of the Apostles' Creed or the whole of the large catechism? And since this should be done daily and yet with and yet not be ever complete, is it saying that non-biblical preaching and teaching would then have no home in the Lutheran churches? Now, Pastor Roth, we're going to give you first crack at this one, and I know Pastor Ill has some thoughts as well. But uh, you're, you're, you got your page turning going on there, so start us off on this question. I do, and I apologize if the light's a little weird. Um, but yeah, the so, people won't care at all. <laughs> there you go. I keep we can't forget about them. They're our biggest fans. Yeah, because uh, they don't have to see us. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I think this, you know. It's kind of like the last question about the Trinity is in the fact of it's a little hard to distinguish because when we talk about um, the, the three articles, what all does that really entail? Uh, to kind of help with this point, looking at, again, in the, uh, in the large catechism on paragraph 54, it talks about uh, that we confess in the forgiveness of sins, that we have the forgiveness of sins. But then Luther goes on to say, but what does this mean other than this is where the sacraments belong? In short, this is where the whole gospel and all the offices of Christianity belong here. Also, we must be preached in, or which also must be preached and taught without ceasing. God's grace is secured through Christ and sanctification is wrought by the Holy Spirit through God's word in the unity of the Christian church. So when we're talking about the doctrines found within the, the articles of faith, uh, it's pretty large, and we're not just restricted to the text. Uh, I was reading a book earlier today about why Christians sing what they sing, and it says that Lutheran hymns aren't only content to just paraphrase um, Scripture, but in fact, Lutheran hymns interpret Scripture in light of Christ. Uh, you know, this is the same thing. We interpret all things... It's not that we restrict ourselves to the words per se of the creed, but we interpret all things in light of the truth of the creed, in light of what is boiled down there and given to us. Um, so that can be, and I know the question was, was expanded upon, uh, can, can a pastor share a story about himself? Well, there again, yes and no. Uh, the question is, why? Does it really serve to further the proclamation of the gospel, or is it just story time? Um, so how exactly the non-biblical things are functioning in a sermon determines whether we should use them or not. Hmm. Sure. Pastor Ill? For me, it's the whole phrase of non-biblical teaching and preaching. Uh, if you have, if, if you're talking and it's not biblical, then it's, then it's not really preaching. 
Um, <laughs> and I, I guess I have my cranky pants on, but that's how I roll. Um, and and I think there's that question of of how strong is the connection between the story or the illustration and and the because ultimately all teaching and preaching comes back to scripture. And if it then then we we can go to open mic time and that's cool too. But uh, pulpit isn't isn't that. And so we have this chance to hear the gospel and we don't expand on it. We simply say what it says and we say and we pray that God would give us contentment with that. I know for me as a pastor, sometimes I'm tempted to want to be creative and innovative and cutting edge. One gospel proclamation, let's give it, say that it comforts the souls uh, that God brings it to. And and the focus isn't on me to do it, but really on what God is doing through his means, even as we talk about in the rest of the article, as as the Holy Spirit delivers this gift to the church. Yeah. I, th- I think as I was looking at this question, too, there's the part of, part of what Luther is talking about on the, on the end of this as he's wrapping up, up is he's simply saying, as we have said multiple times in, in throughout the show, is there is so much here to cover that we simply can't cover it all. And so he's doubling down on that by saying, you could live here. You could spend the rest of your life living in studying the creed right right here. It has everything that we need. It's all right here. Um, what, something that's, that stuck out to me that, that I think let's, let's I'm going to use this to transition into our additional discussion here. So on line 65, Luther says, For, as explained above, we could never grasp the knowledge of the Father's grace and favor except through the Lord Jesus Christ. Except through the Lord Christ. Jesus is a mirror of the fatherly heart, outside of whom we see nothing but an angry and terrible judge. But we couldn't know anything about Christ either unless it had been revealed by the Holy Spirit. So he, he's, he's talking about how all of this fits together. And in this article where he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he's throwing, it's like everything in, and the kitchen sink is being thrown into this article about the Holy Spirit because it's the thing that brings it all together. Not that the Holy Spirit is a thing, but, but this article is what kind of brings it all together. So I believe we mentioned in last week's show or one of the earlier ones how the creed is almost backwards in the sense of what you need to have in order to get it. You, and Luther is basically saying that here, too. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't get Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, God is just angry and mean, and you can't get that. So now we're finally at the end. We've got the Holy Spirit. So we're going to spend this episode working our way backwards to help us understand everything else. But even as I say the word understand, we're going to talk about how we can't actually understand any of it. <laughs> Uh, I might be saying that a little too broadly, but you guys know what I mean. So let's let's begin our discussion of the person and work of the Holy Spirit himself. Let's talk about, first of all, what scripture should we look at? That's kind of something that we always do. And Luther has a lot of, a lot of help for us in this one because he's referencing scripture all over the place. So, Pastor Roth, how about we'll, st- we'll start with you, if that's okay. And... Okay. Um, we're trying to also figure out if Pastor Ill's audio is choppy for everyone or just us. If it's just us, that's great. So, um, But if you guys out there listening, if you're having issues, let us know. Pastor Roth. Yes. So you want me to go to Scripture first? Well, it's helpful, but we don't have to. I mean, if we want to start somewhere else and work our way, that's great, too. We like to circle well, around things a lot here. That's fine. We well, don't have to be linear. Since Luther kind of gave this one, um, you know, in 1 Corinthians 2.12, he said, uh, in the catechism, he says, this all must be taught by the Holy Spirit alone, which is kind of what you were going to at, at one point, Peter, uh, about how the fact that we cannot understand any of this 
we cannot even understand scripture if we do not have the Holy Spirit living and active uh, within us. It is just, it is beyond our human reason, and we can't even hope to believe if we don't have the Spirit within us. Um, another question, though, I don't have the reference off the top of my head, but it's in our liturgy, so I should know, but uh, where we talk about the Holy Spirit completing on the last day what Christ or what he has already begun in you on this whole process of sanctification. This isn't something that'll ever be done. And even Luther says in the catechism, uh, quoting, where is that paragraph 61, where he says, now creation, or for we have already received creation, redemption too is finished, but the Holy Spirit carries on his work without ceasing to the last day. For that purpose, he has appointed a congregation upon earth by which he speaks and does everything. So this, it's hard to talk about the third article without having somewhere really to start because it, like you said, is everything in the kitchen sink. Um, it's a whole bag of worms because it covers everything since Christ. It covers <laughs> the congregation of saints or the Holy Communion or the communion of saints or the gathered saints, however you want to phrase that, um, which Christ's body is his church on earth and the Holy Spirit always works through means. Um, the Holy Spirit works through the church. Uh, Peter, Peter and I were having a discussion earlier today talking about how the fact of you need to be careful that you don't run off the rail on either side because on one side we think and we want to believe that it's up to us. Um, we put all the pressure on us. But at the other side, uh, God chooses, not absolutely necessary, but it's necessary by his will that he works through his church. Uh, that the spirit works through the means of the grace. If there is no word, we cannot say for sure that the spirit is working. But where the word is, we can say there the spirit is at work. Let's, uh, Pastor Ill, let's talk about this word that Luther uses. As Pastor Roth was saying, it's hard to know where to start. Well, one of the places Luther starts is this, this uh, term sanctification or holiness. And I know that's something that we discuss a little bit too. What what is this holiness? What does that look like? And and let's 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 kind of go from there in our discussion. Well, with brass tacks, the word sanctify comes from the Latin word for holy, sanctus. Uh, another good translation of sanctify would simply be holyfy or make holy. I like holyfy, but that's just me. Um, me too. <laughs> and as we talk about how it is that God makes us holy, it calls us to remember Leviticus 19.2, where Moses is to tell the people, uh, you shall be holy, for God am holy. He is holy, he is set apart, and because he has come to his people, he makes them holy. We talked a few weeks ago, I think when we were talking about the law, about how when we read the law, we read it from the other side of the cross. And so we don't look at, you shall be holy as a command where you have to muster up all of this holiness, but instead, God has made you holy. How has God made you holy? Through the suffering and death of Jesus, which he has given to you in your baptism and in the Lord's Supper. And so we, we hear these words from Leviticus, and again, as Jesus quotes them in the New Testament, as something that is done for us and is done in us, we are made holy because the Lord our God is holy, and he has drawn us to himself. He has come to us. And so we are connected with him there. So a lot of times in, in religion classes and confirmation classes, people will talk about justification, how they're made right with God, and sanctification, how they are made holy by God. And I think sometimes we, we over-distinguish that. 
because it's the very same things that that make us just with God that continue to bring us that holiness. Uh, and so we end up with this whole idea that uh, we are never done being justified and our sanctifying, our being made holy and our being justified really are flowing out of the same thing. And it's a continual process that God drives on both ends. Indeed, faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, the word of God. And so uh, God continues to call people into callings and vocations where they preach and teach and serve as Christian parents and Christian friends. Uh, but ultimately, it is God who's doing the work. Uh, he's using people to do it. Luther talked about how when people serve in vocations, they're, they're wearing masks of God, which I just think is a really cool phrase. Um, always reminds me of like the theater masks, you know, the, the tragedy mask and the comedy mask. Uh, we get to be the masks of God as he communicates with the people in his created world. Of course, you stop talking right as I'm typing in the comments over there on YouTube. Oh, <laughs> excellent timing. So let's kind of something that I've been thinking about in terms of this. I, I liked how you talked about over distinguishing justification and sanctification in this sense, that for me, it's helpful to remember that that which the Holy Spirit has done to bring me to faith he is still doing now in the same way with the exception of my baptism. That only happened once. That doesn't happen again. But him, the, the word being preached to me, faith being created in me because of the gospel that I am hearing, the receiving the Lord's Supper, all of the things that, that are attached to the word confession absolution, those, those are things, well, I suppose once again, the Lord's Supper, I don't want to put that <laughs> early as well, but... It's helpful to remember that the same things that justified me, specifically the Holy Spirit working through God's Word, is the same thing that sanctifies me now. And so that's, to me, that's helpful that, and to not overly distinguish so that we're completely separating everything out. And I think it's especially helpful for many who come from your, your evangelical background where the gospel might only be something you hear if you're not saved. You know, you, you, a lot of mega churches will have their evangelism Sunday, and that's the Sunday when the gospel message is shared. And here Christ died for your sins and, and all this, and maybe there's an altar call or whatever their tradition calls for in that context. And then the rest of it is, you know, the rest of the year or how, whenever they have it is this preaching of, I don't know, here's how to, how to be a good person. I mean, a lot of it ends up simply being that, and, and they're missing out. We're talking about something much, much more than that. How does the Holy Spirit actually work in this? Where do we see the Holy Spirit working so that we're, we're not that? We're something else. Luther talks about this congregation, this communion, where something else is happening all the time. So let's begin making that move from the holiness into okay, what does that actually look like in in the life of the Christian life of the congregation? And either of you can take that one first. Whoever uh, whoever's most excited about it, who wants it? Rock paper scissors shoot. Oh, <laughs> I win. You win. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, no, I, well, and it all starts, you know, as Peter Ill said, not the other one. Um, <laughs> You know, it, it, it starts with being holy um, because that is who God is. God is completely set apart. He is completely other. But then he breaks into creation, uh, as we know, God incarnate in Christ. And he sets aside for himself, holifies, sets aside a holy people by making them holy. Uh, and I love the visual of kind of an overflowing baptismal font. Uh, you know, we are justified in the waters of our baptism, but those waters overflow the side of the font and continue throughout our whole lives, covering us in, uh, I don't want to say re-justifying us, 
but that that's that process of sanctification. It's yeah, you can't really separate the two. They're not two separate things. Sanctification is really justification just flowing out into our lives. Um, and as the Holy Spirit works on us, when we are set apart and become this congregation of saints, ones who are not of the world, who are in the world, but not of the world, um, and we hear his word, that special episode we had where we talked about the law, where we talked about how as Christians, we kind of have that new relationship um, because we now don't view the law as something we must follow, but we view the law as our father's will. And therefore the spirit enables us, gives us strength, helps us to resist temptation and do what the father desires us to do, uh, do what he originally meant, uh, created us to do. And that is to love God and love one another. And then so we, where there is no word being proclaimed, there is no life uh, because we need that word instilled in us because it is only the spirit working through that word that when I get angry on that little voice of, of the spirit working saying, you shall not murder. Uh, Don't hit that person. Don't do that. Walk away, cool your jets, do whatever you need to do because you are righteous. You have been set apart in your baptism to be a holy people and to bring Christ to the world. So were you having that little voice about anger when you're having your tech difficulties before the show started? Don't you know, your my, com- computer. my computer is not my neighbor. Oh, so you can throw it against the wall? <laughs> exactly. That, oh, but you're still angry. Uh-oh. Oh, but then I'm damaging property. Yeah, yeah. Pastor Hill, what are your thoughts on this? I think that there's a, a language challenge for us. When we talk about the communion of the saints in the creed, a lot of times people think we're talking about the altar. That's not really what uh, the creed is speaking of, and it's not really what what we're given to understand here. Instead, we're talking about the fellowship, the gathering of the saints, where God's now made holy people gather. How are they made holy? Lord's Supper, by communion. But it's about the the being together with God and with the fellowship, which we experience in the Lord's Supper, but it's not since the Lord's Supper. Hmm. Now, I had a thought as we're talking about this, because... We, we have covered a whole lot of different things that the Holy Spirit is doing, where the Holy Spirit is working. And yet, as Lutherans, there is this very common accusation that we don't talk about the Holy Spirit at all. He's the forgotten member of the Trinity. You know, all there's any number of phrases that go on, and yet just in the last 30 minutes that we've been discussing, I don't know, we've probably got 30 or 40 different things where we're attributing that to the work of the Holy Spirit. How, how do we talk to our, our friends, our neighbors, individuals who, who look at us and say, you guys don't even have the Holy Spirit. Like, where are they coming from? And how do we engage with them in a productive way and say, no, no, look, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you where, where we see this and what the Holy Spirit is doing. See, I like this little thing we have going on here because I start and then Pastor Ill comes through and makes what I say better. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's do that then. You start and then he'll fix it. <laughs> so this is, this is actually what my Pentecost sermon was about um, this past Pentecost, two Sundays ago, because in college I was surrounded by several evangelicals Um, And I was told this very thing, you know, your Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Bible. You don't really believe in the power of the Spirit. Um, And so I'll have to ask for forgiveness from Pastor Ill later. But one of the few times I actually told a story, um, I told about the fact that I did theater in, in middle school and in high school. And as an actor, I got into it by acting. And as an actor, I thought, well, it's obviously the actors that make or break a show. 
until I became friends with some techies who worked behind the scenes. And then I realized that the techies actually make or break the show because they're the ones who bring the focus in on the actors on stage. They're the ones who make the story around the actors come to life. And then so what I did with that is in my sermon, I talked about how the Holy Spirit really is that techie working not to bring glory to himself, but to glory to Christ, the lamb who was slain on center stage. Um, granted, that analogy falls apart because Christ is just as important and he does Whoa, make a great show. Right. But uh, I know. But uh, but the fact is just as a, a techie working behind stage, if he messes up his job, boy, you know it. But if he does his job flawlessly, you don't even know he's there. And the spirit kind of works in similar ways. The spirit never points to himself. His job, his role... Uh, is to always bring glory to Christ, is always to connect us to Christ, is always to immerse us in the unfolding narrative of Christ. Uh, who are we? We are the church of Christ. How does Christ's church continue to unfold? Through us. Uh, the spirit connects us to, brings us into that story of Christ our head. Um, never for the glory of himself. And when he is working, we often don't even know that he's there because he works through these means and he never makes mistakes. Unlike some techies can in theater, but uh, he's, this is his job. His job is never to be, to bring glory to himself. And I'll just leave it there. Fix it, Peter. <laughs> there's, there's nothing to fix. Um, it is uh, a really good unpacking of the way that Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit will come and proclaim to you the promise that uh, the Father and more even more so the uh, when and where it wills. Uh, so it is with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and points to Christ. Um, a lot of our brothers and sisters in Christ are looking for Holy Spirit stuff that is really distinguishable as what the Holy Spirit looking for fruit of the Spirit, the stations of the Spirit, like speaking in tongues or healings or specifics uh, that can be particularly identified. And when they start to talk about the Holy Spirit, they often will start to talk about him doing different than the the things that Jesus does. And I think, once again, we've over-distinguished the Trinity in that regard. Uh, and But really, all we need to say is it comes to show us Jesus. And he points to Jesus in that narrative, and that is an absolutely wonderful thing. Hmm. Amen. So what uh, the difference is that we don't have a Holy Spirit where we're looking for grandiose, signs and wonders and speaking in tongues we have but we have a holy spirit who i almost wait i almost want to say who is doing everything but that's almost overstating it but amen <laughs> you did not everything. make a decision for jesus he chose you <laughs> the well, spirit true. brings you to that faith keeps you in the faith sustains you in the faith yeah, Cold, and that's, that's gathers, one of, one enlightens, of and makes holy, something like that. Yeah, well, let's something actually like talk about that because that's that's one of the things I put in the description of this of this video is the start of the of the small catechism, the explanation of of this creed. Now, Luther says it a little bit differently here in the large catechism. Let me find it here um, in the large catechism in line twenty thirty eight. Page 403 is where I'm looking. Neither you nor I could ever know anything about Christ or believe on him and have him for our Lord unless it were offered to us and granted to our hearts by the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel. Now, in the small catechism, I cannot of my own reason or strength Generous come to him. Believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord. Yeah, I Or come see. to him. Yes. So, but the, the it's my focus is... What, what I've begun to clue in on more and more, let me phrase it that way, is my own reason. Uh, especially in our day and age, 
right now. The reason is, okay, well, well let me rephrase. We've, we've shifted our idol, our primary idol may now be our emotions, uh, but reason is still a very strong idol as a result of, of the enlightenment, but also just being humans. We have always elevated our reason uh, well above what, what it should be, uh, not recognizing our concupiscence and its brokenness. But this, this is an area where I found that myself, even as a professing Christian, falling in the trap of actually trusting my reason. And I'll explain how I think it happened with me, and you guys feel free to, to either, either... You're you know, not allowed to talk about yourself. <laughs> you did. You were in drama. That's because not, that's because not what I said, I'm a horror. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so for me, here, here is where I fell into the trap of believing by my own reason. And in answer, asking all these questions of how do I know this is true? How do I know Christianity is true? How do I know it's actually the right way? It's the right religion. It's the it's the true one. Um, and so what I what I kind of went back to is okay. Well, I, we have this historical event. Jesus did actually die on a cross, and we have these history books. We have scripture, and we also have secular sources that acknowledge the reality that Christ died on the cross. So if he actually died on the cross, kind of do the C.S. Lewis argument a little bit, kind of throwing that in there where, you know, he's either a crazy man or he's God or he's sick, you know, all the options. Well, since we know for sure that he actually did die on the cross and all the evidence points to him rising from the dead, Therefore, Christianity must be true, and I, and I believe it. What have I just done? You made an idol. Yeah. I, I mean, and that's I'm, a I'm, really I'm, simple... Unpack what I've done for me, please. Uh, so focusing on what you know, making what you know or what you can prove an idol, and you've put your hope in what you can know and what you can prove. Uh that's one way that we make an idol here. Uh, if you're if you're collecting, uh, you know, money for heavy duty theological terms, uh, we can talk now about epistemology: how we come to believe what we believe, how we know things, and yeah. how we know things exactly. And so, you had described doing it by by your reason, your your rational thought. But sometimes we will do the same thing by saying, well, I know because the Bible says it, and since the Bible is the inspired word of God, everything it says is true, and with really good intentions, we can turn the Bible into an idol. Or we can say, I believe it because I believe it, and we can, once again, with really good intentions, even turn our faith into an idol. And so instead of looking to our Lord Jesus Christ, we look to our faith, which is within us, or we look to our reason, which is within us, or we look to the Bible, and we say, my faith is here, and we end up making an idol and trusting something more than we trust Jesus. And that's a problem. Hmm. Pastor Roth, what are your thoughts on that? That's beautiful. <laughs> I was giving you a chance to fix what he said. You got any any fixes? No. <laughs> I think for I, I I just want to say that this was actually a really hard thing for me to deal with personally because the realization that I was placing my faith in my in my reason or my my ability to understand something or grasp something that was real was actually placing my faith in something other than Christ. So if if that's not right, what is the actual answer? How do I believe? Why do I believe? Because I do. I do confess Jesus is Lord. And as we hear in, in 1 John, anyone who says Jesus is Lord has, has the Spirit. He is, he is saved. So I confess that. How? How do I even do that if it's not my reason that I've been able to get there from knowing that Jesus died you know, in actual history, 
if I'm not getting there from my own experience, because I know this happened, I had this experience and it's great. If I'm not even getting it from, well, I read the Bible and that's what the Bible says and it's true. If all of those are wrong, how am I, how do I have faith? Well, yeah, because, you know, there you're too, you're, you're looking, what was I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> you're how looking, do I have faith? <laughs> you're looking to your reason which doesn't save you, but that's all you guys have already said. So I don't know what I was about to say. <laughs> Other than, you know, it, it points to us and we look at, <sighs> I know there are people out there who love like the creation museum and don't get me wrong. I think there is a place for that kind of thing, but that is for the record. I do enjoy it. I, I, oh, I find good. many good things good. there. So, well, yeah, say what, but continue saying what you're going to say. I probably won't disagree okay. with it. <laughs> you probably will or won't. I won't. I probably won't. Okay. Well, I was going to say, but see, the things with the like the Creation Museum is it's for those who already believe. You are not going to argue someone into the faith. Uh, reason in a ministerial use can help bolster our faith. Uh, the fact that we can look at archaeology and see that in Jericho, uh, one of the walls fell outward and happened to form a perfect siege ramp, um, which is archaeologically verifiable. That's just... It's, it, it helps us trust and believe that what Scripture says is actually the case and not just a completely disconnected book that fell from the sky that has no connection with history, but the fact that God actually does work within history, that he actually is involved in his creation and caring for his creation. And I remember what I was going to go back and say, <laughs> you know, the, the title of the episode you have given this unreasonable faith, this man before us dies and even rises again that is not reasonable and it's even more unreasonable to say because of this that man is god this it just it takes the brain and goes it you just we can't wrap our minds around it and when we pretend, oh, yeah, this is totally reasonable, thanks be to God that it's because you're already a believer and you've already been given it by the Holy Spirit. You just happen to be taking the Holy Spirit's credit. Um, but it's, not, it's an unreasonable faith. Over and over again, the New Testament tells us that Christ crucified, and that's not just talking about him hanging on the cross. That's the whole event of, uh, you can even say his conception his incarnation all the way through to his ascension um it doesn't make sense it doesn't fit within our human understanding this is where we get in discussions with our christian brothers and sisters who can't who say well christ can't be in the bread and the wine that doesn't make sense well neither does the full god head in the person of christ how can he be a hundred percent divine and 100% human at the same time. This doesn't make sense. It defies all logic. So when we go after this whole uh, arguing someone into the faith, we just can't. Because at the end of the day, it, it's beyond reason. And when my people come up and say, especially on Trinity, after Trinity Sunday, Pastor, I just don't get it. I say, Good, because you can't. <laughs> Stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to um, make it make the Trinity make sense. Stop trying to make the persons of Christ united in one nature, the two natures of Christ united in one person. Almost went into heresy there. We were going to weird heresy. <laughs> I don't even know what that one was. I don't either. Uh, it it doesn't make sense. And this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll pass it over to, to Pat, uh, Pastor Ill. Um, you know, Thomas, 
He gets so much flack for being doubting Thomas. And I always try to talk about this. Thomas wasn't different than any of the other disciples. He just happened to be not there the first time. Um, and he, because of that, I think God allowed that to serve as a foil because the first time we see the Jesus were the words of Jesus is peace and comfort coming to the disciples. And then we hear him giving the promise. Um, I will give you my spirit. I will send you out as my witnesses. And then we get Thomas who I think shows us what was going through the mind of the disciples beforehand. Uh, it's just the focus was on Christ. Now the focus is on the response of Thomas and Thomas says, I will not believe unless I do X, Y, and Z, unless I thrust my hand, my finger into the marks, the nail, unless I thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And then Jesus appears and he says, okay, Peter, or not Peter. Okay, Thomas, come put your finger here. Put your side here. Stop, stop disbelieving, but believe. And he said, do you believe? He says, Jesus says to Thomas, do you believe because you have seen? But blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. And people go, oh, the disciples aren't included in that blessing because they saw. What did they see? They saw a man standing before them, but they could not see the confession, my Lord and my God. That did not come through reason. That did not come through sight. That came through the Holy Spirit opening their minds and bringing them to faith. It's, it's the same confession Peter had towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry where, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed be you because this, this, this was revealed to you. <laughs> Pastor Ill. That is absolutely a wonderful way to to put it and kind of to draw this all to a close. Uh, anytime we start to think about our role in our conversion and our coming to faith or our role in our faith or in our faithfulness, we end up making a power play and we want to make it all about us. Uh, you know, one of the like, cute little cliches that I really like is I am my own favorite idol. Uh, and I am. My emotions become idolatrous. My motivations become idolatrous. My thoughts become idolatrous. My actions become idolatrous. Anywhere that I can sneak myself back in front and center and uh, instead of fixing my eyes on Jesus to fix my eyes on myself and to do a little bit of navel gazing, uh, then I have an absolute uh, problem. I didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> that's that's a throwback from a previous episode. Where it's Pastor a throwback. Pastor Everybody's going to have to go back and listen to the last episode with, Pat, with Pastor Roth to understand this particular inside joke. We're not going to explain <laughs> it to you. You have to go back and find the last episode with Pastor Roth and listen to it. I, tr I believe me, it was it's episode five. Episode five. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I was going to say, let's let's wrap the show up right there because you both had great wrap-ups already, but now we're ending it on a joke. I don't know if we should do that. <laughs> um, the Lord do, bless you and keep you. Yeah, well, I do want to say for what, what has been helpful to me is the very words that, that Luther penned in the small catechism. That Look, it is not my doing. It's not my reason. It's not my strength. It is the Holy Spirit who has called me by the gospel, enlightened me, sanctified me, and he constantly, he just points us right back to, here's why you believe, because the Holy Spirit did it all. Now, it's hard for me because from my perspective, it can seem like maybe I made a decision. You know, for, as I'm looking at it, it might look like I actually made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, and that's really hard to shake that particular false theology because, man, it really felt like I made a decision, you know, depending on what, at what point somebody comes to faith. Um, but the, the answer is, why do I believe? Well, because the Holy Spirit did it. How do I know that's what it is? Well, because the Holy Spirit. It's, it, it actually is circular. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that out there because this is part of the reason why the world considers faith 
Christian faith to be foolish because it, it, it why do I believe? Because of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Because of the Holy Spirit. Like the, I am actually caught in this circle, and the only way I get into that circle is by the Holy Spirit putting me there. Um, comments, thoughts on that as your final closing remarks at the end of the episode here. <laughs> Pastor uh, Roth, you look like you have something to say. And this is why that is good news. Because as much as we struggle and that our whole, our whole old Adam hates giving up control and wanting to say, no, I have free will. No, I made my decision. No, me, me, me. Um, no matter how much we want to struggle and do that, it is good news that you have nothing to do with your salvation. Because at the end of the day, your sincerity is going to dry up. Your energy is going to dry up. Your effort is going to crumble. But what is left, what remains, what endures, the word of God. Christ never grows weary. The spirit never grows weary. The father never grows weary. He never grows impatient with us, but yet his word endures. And so we need to just learn to let go and embrace the pure sweetness of the gospel that says, God has done it for you. Believe. Because then that's the only time we can find that true peace and rest that we have in Christ. Pastor Ill, final thoughts for us? The Holy Spirit shows you Jesus. Holy Spirit, keep doing that so that I keep seeing Jesus. Amen. This has been Crucial Conversations. Thank you all for joining us. Special thanks to Pastor Ill and Pastor Roth uh, for the wonderful conversation this evening. Once again, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening and you prefer podcasts, please, we have, we have that option as well. Join us in the Grok Moot for our daily reading as we work through the large catechism. We will be back next week as we begin the Lord's Prayer. And I know Pastor Golden is going to be back, and I'm blanking on who's going to be with him. But the week after that, Pastor Whedon will be a guest for the first time on the uh, second half of the Lord's Prayer. So thank you all again for joining us tonight. This has been Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. Have a wonderful evening.